Welcome to the Strong Mamas Podcast, where we're talking about our fitness and food choices as moms in real life and in light of our faith as Christ followers. I'm your host, Megan Dahlman, and together we'll be exploring what it means to be a healthy, strong mama in the middle of a culture that's obsessed with vanity. This podcast is all about helping and equipping you to take better care of yourself and the ones you love. food temptations. I know, I know, I know that food temptations, struggling with eating what you should not be is one of the hardest challenges of life, period. Yes, we could say it's one of the hardest challenges of living a healthy life, but if you look back over your life and counted up all of the individual battles that you've had with food, it would be massive. This is not a coincidence, by the way. There is something more, something deeper that is in play. And that's what we're going to try and figure out today. So friends, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad you're here to discuss probably one of the biggest struggles that many of us face. I'm going to be flying solo today. My partner, Scott, will be back with us next time. But for now, you and I are going to have just a really good conversation together. So food temptations. You guys, in today's episode, I really want us to take a deeper look at our struggles with food, our struggles with our sweet tooth, our tendency to binge on chips and pretzels and popcorn, the battles that we have with wine or beer or soda or frappuccinos, things like that. Basically, just the temptation to eat things we should not be eating. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with clients where the issue with their eating habits is not really about being educated enough. Everybody knows, for the most part, how they should be eating. They they know what they should be eating. They know when they should be eating. And yeah, there might be a couple misconceptions or beliefs about food that simply aren't true, but for the most part, they know what healthy eating is. That's not the hard part. The hard part is that they just can't do it on a consistent basis for some reason. And this is what gets super frustrating. It can feel like food, maybe whatever that particular food is for you, is constantly tempting you. And you keep finding yourself going back to it over and over again and frustrated and just bewildered why you can't overcome this battle. Okay, there's something that we need to be clear about though first is that we are not talking about food addiction. That is a completely different ballgame, okay? This episode is not addressing the deep-seated issues with addiction. So let's be clear. We're talking about something different. This is a willpower issue. We're talking about food temptations. We're talking about cravings and self-control and discipline. So you need to understand that, yes, some of the stuff that we'll talk about today might be helpful for someone who's struggling with food addictions, and I hope it is helpful, but I'm I'm not even going to (laughs) start to go down that road and say that this will help heal your food addictions, okay? So let's just be clear about that. All right, let's just kind of start super basic here. What is temptation? Temptation essentially is the desire to do something, especially something that's wrong or unwise. A temptation is a thing or a course of action that's particularly attractive to you. 
you're drawn to it. You want to do it. The Latin word for temptation, kind of the root of temptation is the word tempter. And honestly, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that properly. (laughs) My Latin is a little rusty. (laughs) Um, But tempter means to taste, to handle, to test, to try. And honestly, I find it very interesting that the origins of the word temptation really have their roots in, in tasting things. There's this idea of food still in the root word of temptation. It's very physical. It's, it's touching. It's, it's stroking. It's tasting. It's handling. This is where temptations come from. It affects our senses, right? We're going to keep coming back to this idea of temptations, but it might be helpful here to first really understand and uncover how we should be eating. Because like I said, you might think you know how you should be eating, and that's great. But I don't want to assume that you have it all figured out. So let's just break it down real quick. And these are the healthy guidelines that I use when I'm coaching women, when I'm coaching women in the Strong Mamas Coaching Group. These are super simple. These are basic. And this is where you have to start. So these are what I call guidelines or healthy eating habits. And these things need to be in place. So as I'm talking through these, and you've probably hear me heard me talk about these before, ask yourself how you're doing with each of these points, okay? So number one healthy eating habit is if it's a mealtime, you need to eat. And if it's not a mealtime, you need to make sure that you're not eating. So this habit basically is the idea that you're starting to prioritize real regular meal times and getting in the habit of feeding yourself well when it's appropriate to do that. And then also keeping yourself in check with that mindless munching that happens frequently in between meals. And then the second healthy habit is at every one of those meals, you need to make sure that on your plate or in your bowl or whatever you're eating that you have a good strong source of protein and a significant source of produce. So those two ingredients need to be on your plate or in your bowl, whatever your meal looks like, they need to be there every single time. So you should be able to look down and say, I see the protein and I see the produce there. And that produce can be fresh fruit, it can be vegetables or a combination of it. The next healthy eating habit is that you are being mindful and intentional about including a variety of healthy fats into your meals. You're making sure that those are there, whether it's in the form of nuts and seeds, you're cooking with a variety of different oils, you're eating avocados and salmon and a variety of fish on a regular basis. So you're being intentional about making sure that you're consuming an appropriate amount of healthy fats on a regular basis. The next healthy eating habit is that you learn to pay attention to grains and other starchier carbohydrates and you figure out how to eat them when it's appropriate for your goals and your body type. This is when it gets a little trickier, but you learn that the majority of your diet should not be made up of starchier carbohydrates, that the majority of your diet should start with protein, produce, and healthy fats. And then depending on your own genetics, depending on your own situation, then we can kind of play with when these starchier carbohydrates are best for you and your body. There's nothing wrong with them. We just might need to tweak them a little bit more specifically for you. And these are the foods 
that would be bread, pasta, rice, cereals, grains of all sorts, and even sugary things, uh, anything that's a higher carbohydrate load. The next healthy eating habit is that you're making a point to avoid processed and packaged foods. On a regular basis, majority of the time, you are eating really good whole foods that you've prepared yourself or you know someone else has prepared, but it's not processed. It's not coming out of a package or a box or a bag, okay? It's real fresh food. The final healthy eating habit is that you're doing your best to avoid beverages that contain calories of any kind. And I'm not one to, to park on calories and say that calories are really important, but The thing with calorie-containing beverages is that our brains really have a hard time of feeling full and satisfied when we're drinking our calories. So it's best to stick with beverages that are clear, that don't have calories of any kind. So in this category, you're going to have beer, wine, soda, coffee drinks that have calories in them. So start to get in the habit of making sure that if it's something that you're drinking, that it doesn't have sugar or fat in it. Really, those are the healthy eating habits that we need to have in place forever. And anything outside of these particular guidelines is what I would call a splurge. So if you skip a meal when you were supposed to eat or you mindlessly munch on foods in between meals, that would be considered a splurge. Or let's say that you have a meal that doesn't include protein and produce, or maybe it had a really bad balance of fats, like it was really, really high in saturated fat, or really high in another kind of fat, or really low in a particular fat. Or maybe your meal had a lot of processed carbohydrates in it, or sugar, or you drank a caloric drink. All of these things are going to go in the splurge category, okay? Some would call this cheating. And that might even be a term that you use frequently, this idea of having a cheat meal or a cheat day. But honestly, I don't like to use that word, you guys. I feel like that word has some serious negative connotations. When you say you're cheating, it kind of implies that you're doing something that you should not be doing and you're better off never doing. It means that you're, you're messing something up somehow. It kind of brings with it feelings of maybe rebelliousness and sin in a way. So I prefer to not use that word at all. If you want to have a brownie, that's not cheating. That's just having a splurge. And the truth is that splurging is actually good for you. (laughs) It's not cheating. You can see significant progress with your body if you do allow for some splurges over the course of the day, over the course of the week, okay? If you give yourself some wiggle room, having room for splurges is like having a pressure release valve. That's kind of what I always say that it's similar to, is having this pressure release valve that lets off steam. If you're constantly trying to eat perfectly and there's no wiggle room for splurges, you're barely going to survive even a day. The pressure of trying to say no constantly is going to build up so much that you're going to eventually burst and you'll binge. And that's usually the moments where you binge out of control and get frustrated with yourself. The moment I tell you that you can't have sugar or chocolate or a drink or something like that, that suddenly becomes the one thing you really, really want. You get fixated on it, especially when you realize it's off limits for you. But if I tell you that you can have it, 
Well, then you have something that you feel like you can work with. It's suddenly not this forbidden fruit or something that's off limits. It's something that you can say, oh, well, if I can have it, let's just make sure that I'm planning for it and I'm being very intuitive and holding the big picture in mind when, I'm, when I am indulging in that splurge. With this strategy, that pressure never builds up. You still are practicing self-control and discipline with your eating, but you're having these small moments of releasing that pressure and tasting your favorite things and moving on and going on to the next healthy thing. And you're still going to see progress with this, you guys. I think sometimes, especially those of us who have a background of dieting, we get this panic mode that one meal of splurge foods is going to completely undo everything that we've done. But we talked about this in the Surviving Summer episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it now. And in that one, you learned that with progress mode, because we talked a lot about progress mode versus maintenance mode versus digress mode, you learned that with progress mode, you can splurge 10% of the time over the course of a week and still see progress. You don't have to eat perfectly to see progress, you guys. And honestly, it's healthier for your mind to take a break, to not constantly be in perfection mode, and to be striving for doing everything exactly by the book. You need to learn balance and moderation with your eating, and you never get to do that if you're never allowed to splurge. So splurging is important. Don't keep calling it a cheat. This is not cheating. You're just mindfully having your favorite things in moments where you're being intuitive and completely mindful about it. But I think as I'm saying this, you're starting to say to me, (laughs) but this is where it gets difficult, Megan. And I know this is where the battle lies. This is really where the rubber meets the road because this is really difficult. I get that. We know that if we want to see progress with our bodies and make some sort of change or at least stay really healthy, We need to have that level of self-control. We need to have some form of discipline and try to be eating really good 90% of the time. Some of us will have days where we eat great and have a a good 90% day. Some people, and then the very next day, it's like, man, that was like a 70% day. That was terrible. It It can feel impossible at times when food is constantly tempting us when it's always there tempting us and let's dig into this a little deeper you guys now that you have a better understanding of what a splurge is let's look deeper at food temptations food temptations are not a new thing in fact they were the first thing (laughs) it was the very first temptation that ever came on the scene And when I look in scripture and see the two most well-known and prominent instances of temptation, they both involved food. It's kind of crazy, you guys. It's, it smacked me over the head one day and I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my gosh. And after taking a closer look, I'm starting to see that food temptations are the enemy's go-to method of pulling us off track. He's got a lot of methods, but it's usually the first one he'll try. It's his go-to method of pulling us off track because he's usually trying to also undermine other pieces of us. So let's take a look at the very first temptation. Let's look at Genesis 3 first. 
And I'm going to read it to you. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, did you catch all that? Satan's first temptation with Adam and Eve involved food. It said he was crafty, he was twisting God's words, and he presented them with something that he said was good to eat. He made sure that it looked good, it looked desirable, and he also told them that it was even a smart choice. It would somehow make them wiser. So what did they do? They went ahead and they ate it. Okay, so let's go now. We're going to fast forward and look at a very similar scenario in Luke chapter 4. Listen to this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So here we have Satan up to the same old tricks again. He's using the exact same tactic, tempting with food. Yeah, he's crafty, you guys, but he'll keep using the same thing if it works. If a a temptation works, he's going to try it again. But clearly the outcome was very different this time around with Jesus. It didn't work. Adam and Eve caved immediately, but Jesus didn't. And then Satan had to move on to different temptations and strategies like wheedling in at Jesus' power and wealth and fame. He had to move on from the food thing because he realized that wasn't working with Jesus. I want you to notice that Jesus was tempted when his hunger was at its absolute greatest and his physical resistance was probably the lowest. This was 40 days without food, you guys. Now look back to Adam and Eve. Contrast with contrast that with them. They were not physically hungry. They literally had everything they could possibly need, but they couldn't resist still. They had the fullness of goodness, fullness of satiation. They were completely satisfied, yet they still caved to this stupid temptation. And this is us. <laughs> we have everything we could possibly need. We have all the food and the nutrients that our bodies need at the drop of a hat. We have enough, but we still can't resist, can we? Can you imagine what we would do in that scenario where we were absolutely famished, hadn't eaten for a full 40 days, and then the possibility of having a fresh, warm loaf of bread is sitting in front of us? There is no way that we would resist that right? Without the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we would instantly cave. Give me the bread. Are you kidding me? And here we are 
caving into food temptations on a daily basis. And you guys, it generally has nothing to do with hunger. We are easy targets. Just show us something that looks tasty and we are in. Turn the brain off and go. Now, let's not stop there with the story though, okay? Because there is more here I want you to see. Satan's food temptations weren't just about the food. We know that. They were about something more than that. On both occasions, the temptation started with casting doubt. He said to Adam and Eve, did God actually say this? And then he said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, this happens to us too. When we're being tempted the hardest with food, I think there's typically shreds of doubt in our mind. And usually these sound something like, did she actually say that this would work? Maybe she's wrong and you should try something different. Or it might sound like this, this little piece of food isn't going to really make a big difference, will it? Or you're not really making any progress anyway, so this isn't going to do anything. Or maybe it sounds like, are you actually capable of staying this disciplined? You've never been able to be disciplined like this before, so why is this time any different? Or how about this one, you guys? Are you actually valuable and beautiful the way you are right now? Don't you think eating or drinking something would make you feel better? These are the bits of doubt that run through our brain. When food is tempting us, it's rare to be completely mindless while we're putting food in our mouth. There's an inner dialogue going on. Start noticing that dialogue, you guys, because it might not be you that's saying it. So how was Jesus able to resist? Because I think that this could help us a lot. <laughs> Where Satan thought that doubt existed in Jesus, there was no doubt in him. Jesus had trust and love instead, and he had well-placed love. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says this, Do not love this world nor the things it offers to you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Okay, hold up, guys. All those things it just said, a craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These three things, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but those three things line up perfectly to the three different things that Satan used to tempt Jesus. Okay, but that's a side note. Let's go back. So it says, these are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So I think, you guys, that Jesus was able to resist because he had the love of the Father in him. In his moment of greatest temptation, he already did not love the world. He didn't love the realm of Satan. There wasn't anything in it that he loved. He loved the Father instead. He knew that the world only offers cravings for things that aren't from the Father and that all this stuff is fading away. So even though he was absolutely famished, yes, he had a physical need for food, but he knew that he could go another day or two without eating if he needed to. He didn't love or crave bread. He craved the Father. He craved the words of the Father. No doubts about, he had no doubts about his worth and identity. He had no lack of trust about whether or not it would work. He had no doubts about his self-control and discipline. And he had zero desire to indulge in the cravings of the world because that void was completely filled up with the love of the Father. 
You guys, I think we underestimate the power of abiding in God's love. I think we don't realize how it affects every single piece of our lives. Jesus knew this and he experienced it. And in his moment of greatest temptation, and it was a food temptation, he said, nope, no thanks. What you're offering to me, I don't even crave. So I have no problem saying no. What I love about all of this, you guys, is that Jesus knows our struggles. He knows exactly what it feels like to be tempted by food. In Hebrews 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, our food weaknesses, (laughs) but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If food temptations are a daily struggle for you, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that you can ask for mercy in the middle of your struggles. Notice that your food temptations, the struggles that you have with food, those you can bring to the throne of God. He understands what that feels like. If food temptations are a daily struggle for you, open your eyes to what might be lurking underneath the surface. Start to notice the enemy's words of doubt and mistrust. Pay attention to that inner dialogue that's probably going on and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you just like he was right there with Jesus. If food temptations are a daily battle for you, abide in God's love even that much more. Let him fill that void for you. Let him be the thing that you crave. So I know this is a huge piece and probably a really big emotional, spiritual eye-opener for you. And I I hope it shakes you up a little bit to start to notice that when you are dealing with food temptations, there could possibly be a lot more going on than just willpower and self-control. And maybe that could be your breakthrough. But I also want to give you some helpful practical strategies for managing cravings and temptations when they do arise. Okay, so this could be the piece where God is trying to help you deal with it. So the first thing, and this is really practical, the first thing is that we need to make sure that you're not actually, in fact, hungry (laughs) in that moment. When you're sitting there feeling like, oh, food is tempting me so much, are you actually hungry? Like, should you actually be eating? Because sometimes we are, in fact, hungry. Look back at your last meal. Was it big enough? Did you have that protein and produce like you were supposed to? Maybe you didn't. And maybe you're actually hungry. Maybe you need to eat a real meal. So stop trying to say no in that moment if you're truly hungry. The next thing is I want you to recognize that foods that you struggle with the most, notice what those ones are. And if they are not healthy for you, just Remove them from your environment. Get them out of the house, okay? If you really, really battle with ice cream, don't bring it into your house. If you battle with popcorn or chips, do your best to not buy them. Don't have something that is super tempting for you sitting right in your environment. If you know that you are weak and powerless to say no in moments of your greatest weakness, then remove that from your house altogether, Just get rid of it. And I know a lot of people will say, well, my family eats it and I have to have it in the house for them. And I get that. I get that. But then you need to have conversations with the rest of your family and say, listen, 
this food I really struggle with. So if that's something that you still want to have in the house, you're going to need to have my back and help me out. Because that's something that tempts me all the time. I know it's not tempting for you, but it is for me. So I really need your help here. And you might realize that those types of conversations can be really freeing for you and help you out significantly. The next thing is I want you to know exactly what splurge foods are your favorites. And then hold out for those things, okay? Are you a chocolate girl or are you like a gummy bears? Or do you, would you rather have a chai tea latte? Like figure out what your favorite thing is and don't settle for anything less. I think often we end up mindlessly just putting food in our mouth. And if we were to actually stop and think about it, we'd realize, I don't even like this. Why am I eating it? So recognize what your favorite splurge items are and hold out for that thing. Don't settle for something less than that. The other thing is I want you to make a note of environmental factors that could be contributing to food temptation situations, okay? Is it always a certain time of day or maybe with certain activities that you feel this urge the most? For a lot of people, I know it is in the evening after the kids go to bed and you're sitting in front of the TV. For some reason over the years, you've developed a habit of when you are in that position with those emotional feelings, you also eat. So we've created this pattern, these two things that go hand in hand. So start to notice, is am I just doing this out of habit because of an environmental situation? Or maybe you're giving into cravings or t- food temptations when you're always stressed or depressed. Maybe it's only with certain people. Maybe you only ever drink or eat certain foods when you're hanging around certain people. Maybe you have certain people in your life that are enablers. So the more you're just aware of the environmental impacts on you over the course of the day, the more you can begin to change them and and almost put on your armor when you are in those situations. Then finally, one of my favorite tactics is the not yet tactic. And that's when you're finding yourself in a moment where you're feeling a really strong food temptation. And instead of saying yes to it or, in, or trying to say no to it, say not yet. Okay, so it's still an option. You're not completely shutting the door, which can be really difficult in that moment. Just say not yet. Say, I'm going to go ahead and have a good whole food item, maybe some protein, some produce first, and then check back in and see if that's still something that I really, really want. Oftentimes, we didn't realize that hunger was the issue, and the moment we actually feel full and satisfied, that one particular thing doesn't look as enticing anymore. So frequently, that not yet strategy can be a lifesaver for us. So try to start practicing that one when you find yourself in that situation. I'm not a huge fan of using substitution strategies. This is where if you're always craving brownies, for instance, you make like avocado and black bean brownies and indulge like crazy on the avocado and black bean brownies, which by the way, I've never made those. I don't even know if they taste good, but some people will do that where they're like, I have a food temptation. I am not going to deal with that craving or temptation. I'm just going to substitute something else in that I don't have to feel guilty about. That's, I don't know, you guys, that's kind of working around the problem. In the long run, it's not helping your healthy behaviors. You're still indulging on a brownie and it's probably a brownie that you might not even like. And so you're left feeling like, 
yeah, I still kind of want the real thing. So I would say figure out what your true favorite splurges are and hold out for those. Don't try to make substitutions and try to be really thoughtful about not doing the guilt-free route of trying to substitute in guilt-free foods. There are scenarios where that might be helpful. I know for a lot of people in the evenings around that five o'clock time, they like pouring themselves a drink and that's a habit they wanna break. And so it might be helpful during that time to just have some sparkling water, something that has a little bit of flavor to it perhaps, or a little bit of bubble or something that feels like they're drinking something other than just plain water, something more interesting. And that has been helpful for people to kind of wean themselves out of that behavior of always having a drink in the evening. But I wouldn't say that that strategy works across the board. So if you are always having sweet tooth issues or chip issues, try to not substitute in a healthy chip (laughs) or a healthy sweet. I was actually scrolling through Pinterest the other day and I came across these like this keto cereal (laughs) and it was essentially, they looked like Fruity Pebbles, but they processed them so much that they made like basically pulled every ounce of carbohydrate out of it and made them like a protein fat keto cereal. And like, that's not, what are we doing here? That's not solving any issues. Like, are you kidding me? That's not going to ever work for you in the long run. No, 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 no. What we need to figure out is how can we get you to eat real healthy food on a regular basis and not constantly be eating substitute unhealthy food. So there's a lot to digest there, haha, <laughs> no pun intended, but <laughs> food temptations, you guys, they are very difficult. I understand that, and it's not something that I have mastered by any means. Even just writing this podcast up, <laughs> even just formulating what I wanted to say to you today has helped me significantly. Just digging into the scripture and being aware of how we are tempted and that tactic that the enemy can use on us and understanding good strategies for managing our cravings and being healthy in the long run, these things help, okay? So you don't always have to battle food. You don't always have to battle food temptations. Bring these things to the feet of the cross and understand that he is empathetic to how you feel and he will help you. Okay, let's get to your questions, you guys. And we had a couple great questions this week, mostly just nutrition questions. And this is pretty fitting since today's episode is on food temptations. So Sherry had a great question. She said, how do I know how to eat the right amount of food at meal and snack times? This is something that I really struggle with. For the most part, I eat healthy, but it's just the portions that get to me. Portion sizing is kind of a confusing thing because you're, you're going to see a lot of different camps out there. You'll have measure everything with like measuring spoons and measuring cups. You're going to have the count your calories camp. You're going to have the count your macros. You're going to have the count your Weight Watchers point numbers. The best way to go about understanding portion sizes is there's two strategies here. So if you know that you're always putting the right things on your plate, okay, if it's not a ingredient issue it's just a sizing issue let's start with one thing what I want you to start practicing is eating slower okay our hunger and fullness cues take a while to catch up to what's actually going on inside our bodies 
And if you're always scarfing down your food, you're never going to have a chance to under, to notice when you're getting full. So I want you to start to practice eating slower. And it could be just at one meal a day that you practice this. This is definitely a skill that you need to teach yourself. You have to learn it. So practice eating slower. And then when you're eating slower, I want you to start to notice when you're starting to feel full. And I'd like you to stop when you're at about the 80% fullness mark. This is when you feel like you're no longer hungry, you're nicely satisfied, but you're not stuffed. Think about that Thanksgiving dinner where you eat so much food and you're totally stuffed. That is 100% fullness, okay? So it's, it's nowhere near that. You're pulling back from that. It's basically where you feel like, yeah, I've got a little bit of room left in my stomach. I feel satisfied though, and I could probably go three or four hours now without eating again. So that is the 80% fullness mark, and I want you to start practicing to stop eating at about that point. The other strategy is to use your hand as a portion control guide. So look down at your hand right now. The size of your palm, the diameter of your palm, and the thickness of your palm is approximately the amount of protein you should be eating with every meal. When it comes to produce, you can do it two different ways. You can take a fist-sized amount of chopped fruit or chopped veggies, or if it's more of a leafy green, take your whole handful and, and grab a handful of leafy greens, and that would be considered one serving. With every meal, you should have about two servings of produce, so either two fist-sized amounts two handfuls of leafy greens or one in one. When it comes to fats, a good portion size is the size of your thumb. And then when it comes to starchier carbohydrates, a good portion size is one cupped handful. So if you have, for example, a pot of cooked rice or quinoa, if you were to take your hand and cup it and scoop out that would be one serving size. So that's a great place to just start, and then you can tweak it from there based on your hunger and fullness cues after that. So that's a great question. The next question is from Jasmine, and she says, how do I figure out how much protein I should eat? Do I only count meat sources of protein? I've seen lots of ways to calculate it, but it's still confusing. I need it simple. This is a really great question and it ties back to the portion sizing from before. So with protein, you definitely, whether it is a, a meat source or a plant source, we need to be aiming for between 20 and 30 grams of protein with every meal. So I find that with protein, it's somewhat helpful to understand the macronutrient total and that might be helpful for you too. I would say don't worry about any other macronutrient totals other than that one. But generally, if you were to take a piece of chicken or chicken breast and figure out that diameter of your palm and then the thickness of your palm and have that amount of chicken breast, usually that is going to equal just over 20 grams of protein. The same thing goes for other types of meat like fish, pork, beef, that usually equals approximately that amount. Things get tricky when we are talking about yogurt, cottage cheese, and then even plant sources of protein. Just take a quick look at the gram count for the protein and see if you can add it up so that you're reaching approximately 20 grams, maybe even more with most of your meals. If it's a snack, it can certainly be less than that. But if you're eating only plant sources of protein, 
Plant proteins generally have about half of what a meat source or an animal source of protein is going to have, so you kind of need to double it. Lentils has really high amounts of protein. That's a great, great source of protein, and it's actually double what quinoa even has. So it might be helpful for you to have a, a good understanding of how much protein is actually in different things. And I know that I have a chart somewhere for that, and I will try to post a link to that in the show notes, and that could be helpful for you. But if you can aim for about 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal and maybe a little bit less than that during your snacks, that's going to line up to that palm-sized amount pretty equally. And that gives you a good idea of how much protein you should be eating with each meal. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much again for sticking around with me. If you haven't yet, make sure that you leave a quick review on the show. Rate the show. Just tap some stars. That helps so much. And I would love it if you shared this show with your friends too. I know that there's a lot of women out there that need to hear this information also. So just start talking. You can even take a quick screenshot of this show and post it to your social media feeds. If you do that, make sure to tag me because I want to see who's out there listening. Thanks again for joining me today. I hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.